Welcome to the Bull and the Bear podcast. This is Zach Attack. If you want a non-biased perspective on the stock market, stick around. I'm excited to share the information and news I've learned with you, so let's talk some stocks. All right, so I'm going to talk about SOS Limited right now and why I have a uh, bullish perspective on it currently, a bullish approach to it. Uh, Some of the things I want to talk about are the way it's being received right now, the way other people are looking at it. There have been some reports coming out lately calling the whole thing a fraud. Um, Specifically, there was the Hinderberg and the Culper reports that were calling the whole thing a fraud. Uh, I want to focus mainly on Hinderberg for this because that's the one I'm a little more familiar with. Uh, Hinderberg himself has admitted to having a very uh, short position on it, which could be because he doesn't believe in the company, but it also might be because he's beating down the company. Um, and I would, I think he's beating it down to try to come back in on it. Um, he's also called Riot and Marathon fraud companies, and those two companies ended up going really high within the next month after he said that. Um, I've done a little bit of, of of looking into his report and some of the things that he likes to go on about are um, the the locations not really being verifiable that the company has listed, but then he has dishonest tactics that he uses uh, when he goes into that. Uh, one of their addresses is listed as uh, 888 Ding Feng, I think that's pronounced. And he actually shows images of the 888 on the address and then puts it up next to an image of a hotel that he says is the address. But if you pull that up on Google Maps, you actually see a separate building that's there beside it, which is something they do in China. Uh, This is a Chinese company, by the way. Um, They will have buildings that sort of share an address and the building that actually has the number on it is an office building. But he goes on to say that that's a hotel and that they called the hotel And uh, the hotel said, no, you know, there's no offices in the hotel. And it looks like he's purposely uh, using deceptive tactics to do that, which leads me to believe that his short position might be a front on that. Um, Of course, that's not enough to verify the company as not being a fraud. It just pulls his perspective on it into question. So I went ahead and I researched some of the people involved in the company Uh, The one who interests me the most is the person who's actually heading the blockchain and crypto research. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but it looks like Dr. Huazhang Yan uh, is the vice president of operation and the spearhead of the crypto um, portion of it. And this guy, he's a pretty interesting guy. Um, You can find a lot of information for him if you pull him up on YouTube. Uh, He's got a number of Google citations. He's cited on Google about 10,000 times. Um, He's written about 400 articles on blockchain technology, computer science in general, uh, dating all the way back to 1999. You can pull these up. So this guy has a lifelong investment basically in this technology. Uh, He's not a hard person to research. He seems like a very reputable person. I don't think this person, just based on what I've seen, would put himself and his name in a shell company that would be trying to, you know, defraud people and just steal money. He looks way too invested in it himself to put himself on the line like that. Uh, He graduated from Xinhua University. And as far as um, what I'm finding, he's he's a pretty well-respected scientist. computer scientist in China and worldwide. Um, Let me see. Let me see if I can pull up some more pages. He's an author. He's written, like I said, hundreds of articles. And hold on. I'm kind of losing my train here. Don't worry about it, man. You know, I got this whole list of notes in front of me and trying to jump from one to the other is is a tricky part. Um, another thing I kind of want to bring up, though, is that this company itself, SOS, it wasn't always SOS, but this company has been around since 2007. So it's not like it's a brand new company or a company that doesn't have any kind of history. They've been in a lot of different 
uh, they've had their hands in a lot of different things over the years. Um, if I pull up the company profile from their website, they have been in things like uh, emergency services, road rescue, financial bailouts. And that company, um, their, their old model kind of went downhill after a while. So they came up with this new vision to get into the blockchain. Uh, the timing on it seems to be really good based on where the world is headed uh, in terms of cryptocurrency and um, the, the prices of cryptocurrency, the way they're going up. It seems like a good model. So I'm not really investing in the company's past. I'm kind of looking at their future, but I am seeing that they do have a past and they have a history. So it's not some brand new company that's just popping up. Um, when they first started trading, they were brought into the public by Morgan Stanley, actually. Uh, a few other groups, but that was one of the main ones. One of their board members, uh, Douglas L. Brown, is a former vice chairman of investment banking for Morgan Stanley and is a current SOS uh, board of directors, non-executive. But he has many years of uh, successful U.S.-China investment deals, and he has been a member of the company since 2007 when they started. So it seems to me like there's just a lot of reputable people involved with it. I've, I've looked up some of the other guys, but not as deeply as I have the specific people that interested me the most for what I'm actually looking at um, in terms of thinking that this company might be successful. But it seems like it's got reputable people behind it, not the kind of people that would just do a jump and run. Um, it's you know got a history. It's got a lot of other people um, looking at it. And it seems like the interest in it, uh, the, the people that are trying to drive it down are doing so you know, sort of with an ulterior motive. It doesn't seem like they're actually betting against it as much as trying to get other people to get uh, bet against it. Um, that's, that's basically some of the research I've done on it. Well, so... You know, for, for me, there's a there's there's a few things at play. Number one, uh, news type buying, you know, or listening to the news when you're trying to determine whether you should buy or sell a stock. Um, <clears throat> you know, we have this thing where we refuse to believe the media when it becomes when it, when we talk about politics. But for some reason, the news is what we based our investment decisions on. Like, like people from Reddit or social media or Facebook or Fox News or whomever, uh, Bloomberg, doesn't also have an interior motive just because they're talking about investing versus talking about uh, politics. So that's number one. So I don't, I don't, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hindenburg, the, the Hindenburg report. Yeah. Um, I'm not putting too much weight into his report personally. Um, when you've announced that you're short on a stock um, and you're pretty open that you're short of the stock, anything that you come out seems biased. Now, whether or not that's true or not is irrelevant. All that matters is perception. So if just like if you're long on a stock, you're going to talk up the stock. I think, you know, for example, I think block has a great business model. I think it's going to be a stock of the future, you know, to the moon or whatever. Um, the, the the it's all bias based information. So with that being said, uh, when you're doing your 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 own due diligence, it's important to block out the biases, or at the very least, to see both sides of the story, whether that's the, the short side or the long side. Uh, where I stand on SOS is is closer to the short side than the, than the buy side. Um, here's why. Number one, I am always wary of Chinese companies, no matter the history of the company. Um, one, I can't find any earnings for this company. Uh, they do report to the, the they do report, uh, but the report is, is formality. Um, I haven't seen any earnings, uh, any losses for it, you have to put like this. It's not easy to find. I have seen some numbers, um, but it's, it's it's you have to go digging. It's not something you can just simply find. So that's already to me that's already a, a red flag. Number two, the the way.
way the which the stock rose, um, if I'm not mistaken, it came to prominence through the popular uh, social media platform, Reddit, um, which in my opinion is just a new way for pumping up people to, to, to increase the, the noise or the conversation about stock. Um, I think when someone says, hey, look at this, this company is jumping up and you know they have blockchain and cryptocurrency is the future and they're releasing these satellites and you know three more people jump on and they're all working for the same company uh, and then 15 more people and then they hire these other freelancers and they all do the same thing. Next thing you know, you have a frenzy. And again, it comes back to where you're getting your information from. Um, it's easy to find certain things. Um, it's easy to find what you're, it's easy to find something to confirm your belief. So if you think a company is legitimate and you search for uh, satellite pictures, it doesn't matter if those satellite pictures were doctored or not. Um, another thing that I have a problem with SOS is that the conversation is always about the people running it or whether or not it's a fraud or not. It has nothing to do with the, the merits of, of whether or not they're running, which again, as I said earlier, it's tough to figure out if they're making money or not, because there's no freaking finances anywhere to be found. Um, all of these things are red flags. Um, so talking about the greater fool theory for a second, the greater fool theory states that it is possible to make money by buying securities or selling securities, whether or not they're overvalued or undervalued, by selling them or buying them, buying selling them for a profit at a later date. That is because there will always be someone who is willing to pay a bigger price, i.e. a bigger pool. Um, and I think that's what SOS comes down to. I think that's what a lot of these um, meme stocks come from, honestly, is that there will always be someone who is willing to pay a price, uh, regardless or not of the stock's ability to, to sustain its long-term um, investments or long-term prospects. Uh, because there's always going to be one person or two people or millions of people who are getting stock advice from their mailman or their cousin or Reddit or a Facebook post. Um, so there's there's always going to be a way to make money in the stock market. The question is, one, is it ethical? And you can argue whether or not that ethics matter when you're buying and selling for people you've never met. Um, two, the question is, is you know how do you protect yourself on the downturn? How do you know when this is a greater fool theory, a greater fool theory play, or a long term investment? Um, those are the two questions that you have to ask yourself. And for me, SOS is one of those companies that um, because I can't see the financials, it means to me, it, it screams to me a greater fool. Now, whether or not you want to talk about the merits of the business model. I don't know. Um, I'm not. I'm not 100. I'm not bullish on cryptocurrency at all. Um, it's it's nay impossible to give give yourself an evaluation of what cryptocurrency will be in the future. Um, people say cryptocurrency is the future, and that's great. Um, you know, you say, well, you know, I forget what the number is, but it's a few. It's thousands of dollars for you know uh, one cent of cryptocurrency or something like that. Um, I am of the mind. And it doesn't matter what currency a business uses. Um, if Walmart decides that they're only going to accept cryptocurrency in the next 10 years, great. That means that everyone else will be using cryptocurrency. So the value in and itself of cryptocurrency means absolutely nothing to me in the long run. Um, as long as I own a business that's operating, I don't care if it's dollars, if it's pennies, if it's silver, if it's gold. I have an operating company that people want to pay goods for or pay pay for my services or my goods with whatever currency they use. So I don't really care about cryptocurrency. There will be, and again, it's not to say you can't make money from these things. You can definitely make money from every investment. I believe that there's money to be made uh, from every stock. It's just a matter of how you do it and when to get out. And I don't believe that people, particularly with SOS, the type of people who are investing in SOS, are, use, are they're treating it like it's a buy and hold forever 
versus a buy when the news struck and then or and then sell and, and sell when the news is bad. I think there is periods of overselling and overbuying. I think SOS is in that period of overselling, and you know there's people holding the bag, so to speak. And now they're just trying to recoup some of their finances versus just cutting their losses and knowing when knowing when to fold them, as the song says. So there's a lot there that I wouldn't say you're wrong about um, as far as, you know, potentially being a meme stock. Um, the difference that I see between this and some of the other meme stocks is that I think this one actually does have inherent value because I do think that Bitcoin has an inherent value in the fact that it's being more widely accepted. People are jumping on board, uh, including Amazon, uh, a few other places that are, you know, announcing they're going to accept Bitcoin. Uh, Elon Musk, Tesla, investing in Bitcoin and saying that he's working on Tesla accepting Bitcoin. I think there's a lot of future there. Um, not being able to find their financials, yeah, that's that's troubling. And I mean, it is definitely risky looking at Chinese businesses. But at the same time, like I said before, I'm looking at their future more than their past. And the fact that, you know, they have pictures of these mining rigs up and running. They do have more coming in. They, um, they have a contract that they secured with uh, a hydroelectric power because uh, power consumption is a huge core, um, a huge issue with crypto. It burns a lot of energy and they have a solid three-year deal with um, the, the hydro plant. They have a lot of things that are looking up for the future. As for it being a very long-term hold, I don't know if I would consider it that, but I do think it's something that is going to have more than the initial run-up. I think it had a run-up and then it got beat down because other people see that there is an inherent value in this business and in this company. I think they saw that as an opportunity to kind of shake a lot of people out of it. That's just, you know, my thoughts on that. But I think the company does have inherent value moving forward. Um, now, uh, my rebuttal would be that to my rebuttal to that statement would be. Maybe it's not the company that has inherent value. Maybe it's the business model. So SOS is similar to um, Kmart versus Walmart. It's not that retail is a dying market. It's that Kmart wasn't doing it right. And it took Walmart to come around. And do it right. Yes, sense. but... So, I'm not I'm not married to... Number one, I don't invest in Chinese. So, that's just my personal... I've, I've personally been burned, defrauded, personally twice, investing in Chinese companies. And fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, I'm an idiot. And I've been defrauded twice investing in Chinese back in uh, 2011. Number two, <clears throat> I can't like the, we can say that the business model sounds sound. It's like when it's like when your cousin put like this. Let's say you're trying to buy a a a a, a business from your cousin, right? He's retiring. He wants to travel the world, and he said. Here's pictures of, let's say this business is a lawnmower uh, um, retail company. So they buy and sell lawnmowers. <laughs> this company, you, you say, oh, Cousin Joe, he's, he's selling me a lawnmower retail company. Okay, great. You can see the lawnmowers, right? Um, he's taking pictures of them. You haven't gone to see the lawnmowers or the site, but you've seen pictures of the lawnmowers. And then you ask, well, hey, you know, I know you said you're making money or whatever, but I need to see the finances so I can give you an, uh, an appraisal of what the assets and the earnings are worth for me. Oh, well, you know, you just got to trust me. You got to take my word for it. You see you see the doctor of, of, of retail economics and you see the, um, you know, Mr. CEO, Young Jung Jock or whatever his name is. These guys are reputable people and they've been in the business for 25 years and they have 450 articles and papers you can see their Twitter handle and their names and their, and their reports. So these guys are backing me. So here's why you should just take my word for the value of this, this, this lawnmower retail business, right? 
So now you're saying, or at least to me, I would say, hmm, well, it sounds like a good idea and it sounds viable, but the reason I, but I can't find your earnings or your losses or your assets, I can't see them, presents to me like you're trying to hide them. So now you can well, in Go this ahead. case, their financials would not reflect their crypto business anyway. They're just now venturing into this. They got their first 5,000 rigs up and running, their second 5,000 delivered, and 5,000 more on the way. So they don't have any financials so put it that like, would so reflect a, uh, their crypto mining at all yet. No, well, you, so their financials would reflect, but their financials would reflect how they got that money, their credit history. Because I'm not going to walk up to you and say, you know, let's say if you have a credit score of 520 or whatever, no one's going to give you a loan to buy a house, right? So, sure, the fact, so if, so if their financials, their financials would show that they had the, the, uh, the wherewithal to get the money, right? Or did they get the money from some They've been getting their money Again. through direct offerings to uh, private investor companies and uh, public offering recently that they had. Uh, they've collected a lot of money. They have, they have a lot of people, uh, businesses who have invested in them recently uh, because they kind of see the model the way I do, I believe. So put the money, so if that's the case, put it where it's easily defined on the internet. Um, you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to dig. In my opinion, you shouldn't have to. It's one thing to say I'm going to do research on something, right? I want to do. I want to deep dive into another thing. There's another thing to say that I'm going to. Um, I'm going to make it super impossible to to find for the main investment. Uh, so now at this point, it's all word of mouth. It's. So neither, so neither you're gonna, so neither you're gonna do all of the legwork for me, and I'm gonna take your word for it, because I can't find the stuff that you're looking. For. And not to say that I can't literally, but that is harder for me to find. Maybe this is Uncle Billy or Uncle Joe, right? Um, I can't find the information, so now I have to rely upon you. I have to rely on a Mr. Anonymous Reddit user. So I don't know if this information is doctored. I don't know if this information is real. But some people that's good enough for it, some people that's not. I would say personally, um, short versus short versus long. If you're going to be long, um, see, see the financials at some point. That's me. So I very rarely personally use Reddit um, for research. I have... Um had read news articles and such um, for my research, but very rarely from Reddit. I can pretty easily find articles uh, detailing their um, their exercise companies exercising warrants and their offerings and things like that. Uh, I haven't dug through their SEC uh, listings looking for them. I have seen screenshots, screenshots and the like. But it is not super hard to find some of this information if you do a quick search on it. I so put it like this: um, there's a difference between articles and, and again, you know, we're going, um, we're getting ready to move on. Um, however, I think there's 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 potential to make money in SOS. I think there's potential to make money in SOS, but in particular SOS. I think you can make money in SOS. How you make that money is is up to you. You can do it, hold it, buying and holding the rest of your life. You can do it, buying and holding for six months, three months. You can do day trading. Um, I would SOS to me is a day trade stock. Take advantage of the, the, the price fluctuations, the ups and the downs, and trade it over and over again. There is nothing wrong with it. I think when you start talking about uh, long-term investing, however, even if that long-term that term is from three months to a lifetime, I think that's when you start seeing the. I think there has to be a criteria for what a good investment looks like, and I and, and I don't think SOS has that criteria. For example, a history of, of properly ran business uh, business practices. 
<clears throat> you say the, it was the blockchain won't show up in their finances. Okay, well, how much does those satellites worth? How much are they worth? If the company went under, how much money could I get back? How much money can I extract from the company right now as an investor if the, if the company goes under? These are questions that I can't answer. So I can't give you a bottom end of, of the, uh, the uh, intrinsic value. And I can't give you a top end of the intrinsic value because they won't give me the finance. <clears throat> so because of that, um, there's, and then lastly, I, you know, I'm all over the place because I don't have any notes on this, but lastly, there, there, isn't, there doesn't seem to be a competitive advantage for this particular stock. Everything that ha is happening with uh, blockchain is happening to blockchain worldwide, not to SOS specifically. So was, it's like, oh man, you know, blockchain is the future. It might very well be. However, how does, how does that change? How does that affect SOS? on the long term is sos just one of 50 million companies that's going to come out and make money from uh, from blockchain because there's only a finite amount of money that can be had so if you have walmart versus kmart versus target versus um, uh, taco, uh, taco versus another retail company there can only be one number one what makes sos the number one company versus say uh, uh, another company we don't know because I can't find any actual competitive advantages for SOS. So if there are no competitive advantages for SOS versus another blockchain type of company, blockchain data mining company, then that means that at some point SOS will revert back to the mean because every business does. Now, what is the what is the mean for SOS? Well, it was trading at what fifty cents or something like that uh, a month and a half ago. So is that the mean? I don't know. What I do know is, is that we've seen it shoot up at 15 and now it's back around four. So to me, that means that there are people who are nervous who are selling out of the company. Now, I don't want to say nervous. Nervous isn't the right word. They took their, they took their, their um, they took their profits. They smartly took their profits. Um, and the rest, and the rest of everyone else is holding the bag, trying to get back to where it was. I don't think it's ever going to get back to 15. Um, I think you would be lucky. To get it uh, to get back to ten, um, I think that one to five is the range it's going to trade in, unless someone comes in and says this is a buy who is reputable. I do think there will be another push, um, a short-term push in the stock. Um, I don't want to, you know, I don't believe in you know, predicting the market, but I do think there's going to be another push um, where where you guys will be able to get. I don't say you guys, but there will be people who can. This that'd be your last opportunity to um, sell out at a reasonable price, and then after that, it's going to revert back to the now, the time frame of when that happens. I don't know. Um, I don't have a crystal ball in front of me. I left it at the store. I wish I would have brought it back with me today. Um, but I do. I personally believe that's what's going to happen. Um, and then once that happens, then the rest of it, everyone else is going to be left holding the bag. Uh, and I hope that those people bought it at, you know, $1 or $2 or 75 cents versus the higher end with the eight and the nine. Now they have to, you know, sell their cars and stuff because they've sold their, they've, they've invested their kids or, or college money. So there's actually one or two things that do give this specific company a uh, particular advantage against their competitors. One of them is that the other places are specifically mining Bitcoin. Uh, their main competitors, Mara and Riot, um, they're also mining Ethereum at SOS. But another thing is they're the only company that offers blockchain insurance and um, technology like that. Everybody else is, is specifically mining, but they're offering other services that are affiliated with the, the the blockchain growth and as it grows these are services that are also going to be uh, something that people start looking for more which they are actually pioneering and uh, the other thing that i kind of want to visit back on in that is the people involved in it i know you say you know not really to look at that so much but in a in a situation like this i think that having more reputable people more well-known and more um intelligent in the field more experienced people is going to play a key advantage in how they grow and develop 
Um, the other one is that they, at the end of this, when they get all of their equipment, are going to have the ability to mine more, to mine at a higher rate than a lot of their competitors. And that's going to give them a basic value that I think would be more than that of Marathon or Riot. I think that they're a very slept on company because of the other aspects of the, of the business that they're kind of in. And I think that over the next couple months, they are due for a rise that I believe will last too. Uh, if you look at Bitcoin prices, they skyrocketed last week. People were saying it's, you know, if it hits 50,000, that that's going to be huge. And then it shot all the way up to 58. Now, since then, there's been a correction where, you know, I think anytime there's a spike like that, there has to be a drop afterwards because a lot of people jumped in and just bought on whim. But then at the same time, the market itself has been just bleeding lately. So Bitcoin's been going through some rough points where I think that makes a lot of people panic and sell out of it, especially since there's a lot of new uh, retail investors like myself who maybe don't have the, the capacity to hold on to something when they see it you know, hit that dip and they panic and sell. I think a lot of that has to do with why it's been selling so hard. But I think that Bitcoin is due for a correction the other direction and the market itself is potentially due for another correction. And when that happens, I think that a lot of stocks that have fallen lately are going to shoot up. And I think that the stocks with intrinsic value like this one are stocks that have the potential to go up and stay up for um, for quite a while. Um, I'm, you know, predicting very speculatively that between March and April, as Bitcoin, I hope, rises and I, I think is going to rise, that this company is going to rise up with it. I don't know if it's a forever hold, but I do think that for the next couple months, this company is going to go way beyond where it's at now. All right. So uh, assign a value to it, please. And then we can move on to our next um, I day. think probably... $40, $50 by the time it catches up with Bitcoin. I don't think it's at a point right now where it's going to move with Bitcoin the way the other ones do, but I would say somewhere between 30 and 50 by the time it catches up with Bitcoin and starts uh, adjusting as Bitcoin adjusts. So we're, we're as far away as possible on this, um, <laughs> which isn't a problem. It's just the show is uh, called The Bear and the Bull. So I say that uh, SOS is one to five dollars on conservatively and one to eight dollars um, in a more bullish perspective. Um, I think that SOS is not a long-term investment at all and I think that SOS is a is a day trade candidate. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to, to, to take advantage the price fluctuations um, because I do believe that the stock is going to go up. I think I mentioned that um, a couple seconds or a couple minutes ago. I believe the stock will go back up. I do believe that there will be opportunities to take advantage of the, the price fluctuations um, as long as you can manage the volume, you know, keep an eye on the volume. And in, in this particular case, any catalyst that you see or may see uh, or may not see. So, Bull says 40 or 50, and the bear says... I think it's uh, going to be interesting to watch this one develop. Yeah, we should put, um, we should put a, uh, a bear on it. Totally we'll in see. on that. <laughs> All right, so the next, the next company we're going to talk about is a company that most people have heard of. Um, it's Nike. Uh, the company is headquartered in Oregon. Uh, in the Portland uh, metropolitan area is the world's largest supply of athletic shoes and apparel and a major manufacturer of sports equipment with a revenue in excess of $37.4 billion in its fiscal year in 2020. Uh, as of 2020, it employs um, over 70,000 people, closer to 76 to be exact. In 2020, the brand alone was valued at $32 billion, making it the most valuable sports brand um, in the world. Now, the, the question isn't if, or at least for me, the question isn't, uh, is Nike a good investment? The question is, is at what price is Nike a good investment? Um, and I'm not, I'm, what I'm going to do is, I'm, there's, there's a lot of metrics that you can use to 
to, to say if a price is good or if a price is good or not for a company. Uh, what I'm going to do is just give you the intrinsic value for me and to call it a day. Because um, I want you guys to be able to do your own research and certain, especially when it's digging with the finances. I don't want to be a one-stop shop. I want you guys to take my word for it. So for me, based on the dividend and um, the dividend payout ratio, other things i have nike valued at 160 dollars and 71 cents the current price is 134 so that gives you a quite a bit of spread for for, for nike now what what, what the, now the question is, is what will be the catalyst to to make nike come in at 160 so there's a few things that you know let's put it like this there's a few things that makes me bullish in this case on Nike. One is that it has a huge competitive advantage. There isn't a, a, a footwear company in the world that comes close to the value that Nike brings, uh, whether that's with their athletes, whether that's with manufacturing, manufacturing, uh, or the brand itself. Uh, Nike has three different distinct um, competitive advantages, which include a supply side, a demand side, and an economy, uh, e economies of scale side, uh, and you can see that based in their 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 um, in their earnings report, and it shows up time and time again on every metric. Uh, Nike is a great company, and it's a company that 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 has shown the test of time. Now, in terms of whether or not Nike will reach one hundred and sixty, you know, I don't know, but I do know that for me personally. Even applying a margin of safety, and let's say we drop it down to 150 or 145, even um, there's still quite a bit of spread for Nike to buy long term and to hold. And not only that, you will be getting a dividend. Um, men like women like cash doesn't. Um, and if a company is bleeding or hemorrhaging money, they will not pay a dividend, nor will they raise their dividend. And Nike has raised has risen their dividend. Um, uh, Consistently every year uh, for over a decade. So I like Nike as a company. I always have. Um, when you invest in Nike, are you investing for the dividends? Like you, you put your money in and you keep it in long term. Correct? So... I believe Nike is a, a buy and hold. So brand. the things that I looked at when I looked at Nike, because like I said, I like Nike as a company, were the benefits of holding it versus taking profits out of it. Uh, when I see Nike currently at uh, 134.78, and I see that they're paying off uh, 0.27, uh, so they're point, about 27 cents quarterly. So you're getting about a dollar ten per year per share on Nike. So you're buying Nike, and if you buy in now, you're buying at one thirty four seventy eight. So you're holding on to to make a hundred dollars in a year to about thirteen thousand dollars invested into Nike. That that's just kind of staying there. You'd have to hold it for a long time to make the money that you have sitting in it. Um, what I'm what I'm trying to think about are the benefits of leaving it there versus taking profits. Um, do you have any kind of thoughts on that? So, every, in my opinion, the company is only worth uh, the value of the money you can take back. I shouldn't say any company. Any asset that you have is only worth the money that you can generate without selling the asset. Because again, you have the greater fool uh, theory. So I want to buy assets that bleed cash. So I want to own as many assets as possible that bleed cash. So the question is: Is you said thirteen thousand? Um, you said thirteen thousand to get a hundred dollars back, right? Yeah, yeah, roughly, roughly, rounding up, rounding down, whatever. Um, so in this case. You have to ask yourself, 
is $100 perpetually. That's not including the growth of the company or the growth of the dividend of the company, right? So perpetually, you get a, you know, you invest 13, you get 100 back, right? So right now, so if that's the case, what is $100 perpetually worth for you? Now, to me, uh, that's that it's worth everything because that means that's a hundred dollars that I can I can take out and not have to worry about where my next hundred dollars is coming because I believe that Nike is going to be here for the next fifty years. Now, if you're saying now versus taking you know taking profits or whatever, uh, uh, you know applying the greater full theory, that that then you have to ask yourself, well. Now you have to start looking at catalyst. What is going to make the stock spike? Nike is a mature company. So outside of bad news or good news, that's that's really shocking, so to speak. Um, you're not going to be able, there's not going to be a huge, you know, spike of 10, 15, 20, 30 dollars for you to take a huge, you know, a huge uh, profit, you know, a run for, so to speak. So um, with that question, I don't know. It depends. For me personally, if you're looking to get if you're looking to get rich quick, Nike isn't the stock for you. If you're looking to build a sustainable portfolio of businesses that you can pass on to your children, um, so that's what Nike I think. Is. It's safe to say that if you have wealth to put into the market, then it might be a wise decision to put some money into a stock like that. But if you're trying to make wealth and create wealth to do that, it's, it's more of a slow burn. It's probably not the case. Uh, what I do see though. I disagree. I disagree with that statement. Um, from the simple fact that it's just like this. Let's, let's change it from Nike to real estate. Right. And you say, well, you know, you can buy real estate, but it's, you know, let's say you buy a house and it's a hundred thousand. You put 10% down, so that's 10,000. So the, uh, the rest you got, um, you got a loan for 90,000. Uh, your mortgage is, let's just say to keep it simple, $750. You rent the house out for $500. So you take $250 per month, uh, but you spent 10, but you spent 10,000 to get 250 back. And actually, it's really not 250 because you have to factor in property taxes and stuff like that. So really, let's say, you know, $100. So in other words, you spent $10,000 to get $100. Now, that's not $13,000. Okay, that's fine. Um, but no one would say that that house is a slow burn. You're not going to build wealth in that house. Right? So in my opinion, it's, it's, it's what are you doing to generate what are you doing to building building wealth? Are you trying to hit a home run and say, oh, I'm going to buy a company that's, you know, selling for 50 cents or whatever and hope, and hope that, you know, based on the news that it shoots up and that I can, you know, I can retire off of this? Or are you saying, I'm going to buy businesses, actual businesses that has a proven business model that can give me dollar in, dollar out automatically when I sleep, when I, when I play Pokemon, when I go work out, when I go hit home, when I go hang out with the kid. For me, real estate, blue chippers like Nike are, are the way to go. Now, if you wanna, if you wanna take a portion of your portfolio and put it into the more risky stock, that's fine. But I would say ninety percent of your, your your investment portfolio should be. See, in again, I like think that. that comes down to having the wealth to invest, though. Because say I've got a really small, say I got a two thousand dollar portfolio. Well, if I buy, would that be like eighteen hundred dollars worth of Nike, and then keep the other ten percent of my portfolio for something else? That eighteen hundred dollars worth of Nike is going to net me, well, like eighteen dollars, twenty dollars a year in in dividends. That's math in my head. That could be way off, but. Well, so if you say twenty dollars in dividends, but you're not accounting for the 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 five to ten percent that the so the, that's stock actually that's actually with. what I wanted to talk about. So, so now you get the fifty-two week ahead. low on Nike. If I were to buy in at the fifty-two week low of sixty dollars and then hold it for a year to where I'm at now, 
and let's say I did that um, trying to reach my $100 dividend. So I spent $6,000 when it was at that low. So in that same 52 weeks, that same year where I'd make that $110 dividend, I'm gaining $7,478 in gain on the stock itself. At that point, if I wanted my dividends to reach the profit that I could gain just by taking that $7,000 out, I would have to let it sit there for 75 years. So at that point, I think it would be wiser, and this is me personally, right. to take profit out, give up some of the dividends, and then take some of that money to use towards other things. In, unless I had the wealth, like I was saying before, unless I already had the wealth in other places, if I was trying to build wealth, I would want to take those gains out and put them other places and try to make it work for me more rather than just kind of. So, it, so, so, it, so here's another question. Two, uh, two in a bush versus one in hand. Or in other words, you said the fifty-two week what the fifty-two week low was sixty dollars ish or whatever. You take that money out, and now you have to find another. You have to find another greater pool yeah. to take advantage of. Yeah, but then that would be if I was lucky enough to get in at that fifty-two week low, and then you know lucky because again, it's it's still a gamble with any stock, even though Nike has that name behind it has that consistency behind it there's still no telling whether that 60 is going to go up or down or how high up it's going to go well the, the, the this is the difference between something like nike and sos though you say that there's no there's no you don't know if it's going to go up or not but with nike you have a proven business model it may not be glamorous like big chain right but for the last 70 years, Nike has made money doing one thing, selling tennis shoes. And they're the best at it. Versus another company, you say it's going to be $50 based on, you know, the reputation of two dudes. That's what, and, then, and that's what I'm talking about when I say perception versus reality. You have proven history, right? And you say, I can't, I don't know if $60 is going to go up or not. But then you have something that has no history, and you say that's going to go up by by uh, uh, thousands of percents. These are the things when we talk about investing that grinds my gears. Not you specifically, but grinds my gears when we're talking about you know short term, not short term, but but you know new retail investors. It's it's the glamour stocks are the ones that people love and they want to high five and they want to tell their cousins about. Oh, I got a tip or I made this much money, whatever the case may be. But when you have a company that has proven to generate wealth over the long term, those are the companies that people hate. Um, that's why Nike's selling at $135 a share now, too. That's why it's so expensive to get into. And I still think that the company hasn't reached this intrinsic value. I think it can, I think Personally, I think the value per share based on the economics of the company itself is $160. Now, that, that's, there's a, there's, when I say $160, $145 to $175, around that range. But because um, intrinsic value is, is, you know, you can take 15 guys and look at the same data sheet and come up with 15 different intrinsic values for itself. Um, so I'm not, I'm not married to $160. But my point is, is that, 145 to 170 ish. I think that's fair value for Nike today. Now, when I say Nike is a buy and hold stock forever, what I'm saying is is that there's at a time there's a there there's a there's a, a price point where that's too high for a company like um, or even a company like Nike. I think once you start getting into the 160, 170, 180 dollar range, I think that's too much for the company. Obviously, you want to buy something like Nike as cheap as possible. Um, number two, with something like Nike, you want to uh, uh, reinvest the dividends. So you can again, it comes down to whether or not you're smart enough—not you, but we're smart enough to take advantage of uh, dollar cost averaging and then uh, and then also take advantage of dividend reinvestments with one company or are we saying we're smart enough to take that 7,000 that you said you wanted to take out at the 52 week low 
and and do that again and hit another home run um, in the same time frame that you would have been able to reinvest those dividends in Nike. Um, I think there is merit to getting rich slow, and I think there's merit to getting rich fast. However, getting rich fast, you're gonna you're gonna hit a lot more. Uh, you're going to strike out a lot more than with something like Nike, which is why I think having your get, and this is also something too, is that when we talk about these, it's like, hey, I got $2,000 and I want to, I want to, you know, get, you know, whatever, increase my whatever. Why is it only 2000 Why is it just not 2000 to start? But then you add in $100 a month or $200 a month or $300 a month. Why does it have to be $2,000 now, and this is the only thing I can do with $2,000. If we're really trying to build, if we're really trying to take investing and turn it into a business, you're not going to, you're not going to take, you know, $500 and say, this is the only $500 that I'm ever going to have in my entire life. And I'm going to put it into investing to see if I can do it. Or not. No, if this was a real, if this is a, a, a college business, so to speak, let's say this is a, a, your uh, restaurant, you're going to take your initial investment of say $15,000 and then hopefully the business starts making money on its own, but there, they may come a point where you need to reinvest money into the business, right? Same thing with investing. Yeah, I hope that $2,000 perpetually creates money for me, but there are going to be times when I need to reinvest because that's how you take advantage of the snowball effect. That's how you take advantage of compound interest. Is by constant reinvestment, but you can't reinvest in something that once you sold out of it. A company like Nike, I wouldn't even take the hundred dollar dividend if I spent thirteen hundred or thirteen thousand on it. I would take that same hundred dollars and buy more shares year in and year out of Nike. So now in year two, I don't have you know whatever the equivalent of thirteen thousand dollars shares are. I have thirteen oh one, thirteen. So now that initial investment, not only is it growing perpetually with the dividend, not only is it growing perpetually with the value of the company, it's also growing because I have more shares in the company. See, I think for that to be really effective, you have to have a high amount in there already. Uh, I don't I don't think it adds up enough to make a substantial difference, even if you're adding that hundred every couple of weeks also. Um, if your if your initial capital is too low, I think there's a point where you kind of have to take some chances for it to uh, pay off in the long run. And I definitely see, I definitely see the merits to your your plan. I really do. Um, I just think for someone like me who's investing with smaller amounts of capital at the beginning, that it would take me a lifetime to get to the point where that was sustainable. Um, I think that if you, my answer to that would be, if you take, if you took $5 and if you, if like, so, so we're always trying to find money to, to invest, right? And I forget who it was, but they call it the latte, the latte effect. If you take that same $5 a month, and it's probably closer to $6 now, if you take that $5 a day, that you spent on lattes in the morning, that's five, 10, 15, 20, 25 dollars. You took the same 25 times it by four, that's a hundred dollars. So if you instead of spending buying that latte, you took that same a hundred dollars and you invested that in uh, reinvestment. Now that same hundred dollars is not just a hundred dollars, it's twelve hundred dollars because you did it month in and month out. So that's twelve hundred dollars. So now that's not. So now you're taking that same twelve hundred, and I'm not. And I'm not talking about Nike specifically now. But if you take that same twelve hundred dollars and you apply it year in and year out, year in and year out, it, would it be as fast as hoping to hit a home run with something like SOS? Obviously not. Uh, but that's hoping that you can even hit a home run with SOS. Um, <clears throat> with something like with something like this again, the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. I think that there's, if you want to say the number is close to the 50-50 or 40-20 or, or whatever, you whatever they, whatever, 60-40, uh, whatever your ratio is that you're comfortable with, I think 
there is merit to to taking more riskier plays. I think there are ways to do that. Um, however, again, I think that you have to treat investing like it's a business. And by that, I mean, how much money can I make from an asset without ever selling an asset? And if I can't make money off of SOS because they don't pay dividends, hell, they don't even show me their finances for me, you know, whatever, then I I can't reasonably put a value on that. How much money can I make from SOS without selling an asset? I don't know. I know how much I can make roughly taking advantage of the price fluctuation from uh, from SOS, from Nike as well. I know roughly I can make 1% to 10% taking advantage of the price fluctuation. I don't know what I can do long-term with SOS. I do know, based on the history of Nike, that I can make roughly 17% on the, my dividend increase every year. So I definitely think that for somebody who's been investing longer and who has the money to to think like that, that that's a perfect way of thinking. I really do. Um, I think that a larger percentage would be necessary to take risks with for the smaller investor to get to that point um, just because it takes money to make money. And leaving small amounts in there to grow, even adding to them, because, you know, even, even adding that latte every day, it's still going to be so slow that if you're not taking some chances and trying to hit some home runs, I don't think you would ever get to the point where that type of investing would, you know, would be able to be sustainable. Uh, I think this speaks to a larger uh, a lifestyle thing, and I don't want to turn this into a soapbox thing, but I think I've already done that now. Uh, you know, talking to, let's go back to talking to Maris of Nike, um, I think at the end of all of it, all of the conversation, I think you want to own something. That, that, again, Nike takes advantage of Bitcoin, whether or not Bitcoin Currency of the future, or whatever cryptocurrency you want to use, um, because it's an operation. It's an operation It's a product business. So the dollar goes by the way of the dodo, and crypto is the future. Then, okay, you buying, selling your Nike shoes with cryptocurrency. So <clears throat> again, it comes down to are you. What are you investing in? Um, you know, taking advantage of, of someone who's always willing to pay, or are you taking advantage of, of the company who, um, that's on Now, you know, I do believe in taking risks, um, spectacular risks, and I believe the riskiest thing should do is, is day trading. I think day trading is inherently risky because there's no competitive advantage in it. Um, you know, now of course that's going to make people who day trade. I'm starting to lose. I'm starting to lose your audio a little bit. That, um, yeah, yeah, I got you now. Testing, testing. Can you hear me? All right. Um, <clears throat> the uh, people who day trade are going to say that that is. That's not true, that there are patterns you can take advantage of, whatever, whatever. Um, I, day trading is, you're always going to revert back to the mean. I think 50% is what you're going to get. I think there are some people who do 90, 80, 70%. I think those are people who are superstars. I don't care what you say. Uh, not you, again, but people. Uh, I don't care what anyone says. 50% is what you can shoot for. I think the only way to be successful in investing is to protect yourself on the downside. And I think most people don't seek out protection on the downside and I think that's why the majority of people, most active investors do not do not beat the market on the return by return basis. Uh, as in when I say most people, I mean like 99%. You think just by not not getting out fast enough, not um, uh, following their stop loss? The re well, 
there's, there's, yes. Uh, the reason a market works is because it doesn't work for most people. And that allows, for example, Nike has the, the price range is what, $160 to $1 to $60 or something like that in 52 weeks. That's a huge spread for a blue chip stock. Like, could you imagine, you know, going like on one day you're waking up and your wealth is doubled on a blue chip, $32 billion um, uh, value business? Um, that is a huge, huge, huge spread. That, when you're taking advantage of something like that is, is pretty, pretty hard. It requires you to have the best of knowledge. And I don't think most people have that knowledge. You know, but despite all the research, despite all the guessing, uh, despite all of the conversation, uh, most people don't have that luxury. So that, so if you're saying, so if I'm saying that, if that's the truth statement, uh, that most people can't predict the market, how do you take advantage of the market? Um, and at that point, you have to find patterns day trading, or you have to find the intrinsic value of the company, like Nike. So, you know, <laughs> there has to be a way uh, or a method or pattern that you can consist consistently do that gives you money. It has to be robotic. Humans are not robotic, which again is why we, we fail in the stock market because the stock market has no brain. The stock market has no, no allegiances. It only it, it, it is a popularity contest in the short term and it's a weighing machine in the long term. And until are robotic in our investment strategy, um, we will always lose money. In this um, I have accounts where I only invest in the S&P 500. I have accounts where I day trade in, and I have accounts where I have um, um, you know, some buy and hold stuff, and I have some catalyst type things. Um, they're, 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 all of those accounts being 100% candid not make as much money as the S&P account. The S&P account makes the most money for me because it's robotic. I put money in, the, the, uh, the, company, uh, the company automatically invests money into the, uh, the S&P 500 and then I sleep well at night. Everything else I'm doing, all for all my knowledge, the S&P more often than not beats my brains out. I shouldn't say beat my brain. I, I'm, I'm closer to the S&P. The last five years have been tough, but the S&P has been through the roof. Um, but, yeah. I think investing is most impressive when it's business-like. Um, and I think when we, when we add emotions, when we, the more logic we add, to it is when we is when we, we we mess up, and I think a stock circling back to Nike. I think Nike is a, a stock that you can invest robotic like um, day in and day out. You reinvest the dividends, whatever your initial impression was. Whether that is whether you get to a hundred dollars a year or fifty dollars a year or twenty dollars a year. Um, I don't think Nike is the best dividend stock you can buy. That wasn't my argument. There are better dividend stocks. But owning a portfolio filled with his, uh, um, sorry, not his, uh, Nike, uh, is a good start. I, like I said, I think <clears throat> there are certain companies that pay out way higher percentages of their earnings, um, and also higher dividend payments um, overall than Nike. Um, so maybe Nike isn't your first dividend pay, uh, your first dividend stock you want to buy. Um, but if you're trying to Buy a good company that will last you a lifetime. Nike is, is better off. So we can circle in, circle back in. Uh, what is your official recommendation for Nike? I like Nike. Uh, I, I said that at the beginning. I like Nike. The only thing I would really do different is I would take profits out of that. Because for me, I would want to have that money working for me in other ways also. But I 100% agree with you that Nike is a company with great value. I don't think Nike's going anywhere anytime soon. 
Um, I know that we did lose a Nike outlet recently, but I think even if brick and mortar stores, you know, go out the window entirely, I still believe that Nike itself, you know, will, will prevail. We'll find ways to move on. So I think Nike's a solid investment. Uh, at the point where I'm at in my investing career, I would just play it a little bit differently. I would try to take uh, money out of it and, and not do as much of a slow burn as I would try to make it something that I could profit off of in the short term as well as the long term. I have Nike as a solid buy and hold at anywhere below $145. Although if you don't have 2000 5000 or even $10,000 to really start your nest egg, I would say hold off on Nike until you do. This has been the Bull and the Bear Investment Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch us at 8 a.m. every Monday right before the market opens. Have a great week, everyone.